0: In our Bibles to Acts chapter 2, as we continue our study through the Word. As we pick up Luke's account of the beginnings of the early church, uh, we find ourselves on the first Pentecost celebration following Jesus' crucifixion. And Luke begins to record what happened to the disciples of Jesus when they received the Holy Spirit. We see that the disciples were empowered to give witness to Jesus as the resurrected Messiah and equipped to carry on his ministry in the world until he returns again. Their witness to Jesus is received by many, that we'll see, leading to An expansion of the number of disciples, forming the first distinct Christian church in Jerusalem. And as we look at chapter 2 today, we will see that God intends to use regular people. Praise Him for that, right? How many regular people are here? Pretty regular. Maybe a little more dorky, but you know, that's alright. But He intends to use Regular people to spread the good news of the kingdom of heaven. He intends for his message of the gospel to go out to the nations. To not just be kept up with a group of people, but to continue to emanate through the world. And that he intends to save those who will receive Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Let's look at our passage this morning, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2. If you're there, say amen. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we are on this day of Pentecost. If you remember last week, Pentecost means 50th. It's also known in the, by the Jews as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. It was the, primarily, the primary object of the Feast of Weeks was to thank God for the blessing, blessing of the harvest. It was the third of three main festivals that uh, devout Jews would make sure that they went to Jerusalem to attend and to celebrate and to offer, really, at this one, to offer the first fruits of the harvest to God. And we see Luke continue on as where we left off with the disciples last week, that they were all with one accord and in one place, they were together. They were continuing to wait for that promise that the Lord had um, given them. And continuing to follow through with what he had said. Go and wait in Jerusalem. Last week Jesus had instructed them to wait for this promise. And so we left them in the upper room where they were praying together and spending time in the scriptures. And this is where we find them today. And this is about 10 days later than we last saw them. It was the day of Pentecost. They were gathered together. They were praying and reciting Scripture. They were gathered together. They were praying and they were reciting Scripture. That's what they did. How simple it was. And this is where the Lord would work. In their midst. And we see that Luke records, he says, Suddenly... Unexpectedly or unforeseeably, they didn't expect that the Holy Spirit would come in such a way, but they heard a sound from heaven like a rushing, mighty wind that filled the house. Now it wasn't a wind, but it was a sound like wind and we have wind described throughout the Bible as, and it was used to describe the natural. Phenomena that we feel outside or see move trees, or uh, but it also was used to describe the breath of a being too. Usually, it had to do in relationship with God. It's translated throughout the New Testament as breathe, blow, wind, or breath. So you can see the different applications in there. But here it is—it is used to describe what the disciples heard that symbolized the supernatural phenomenon of the Holy Spirit's pouring out on them. When we look at the Old Testament, we see God use wind to symbolize his spirit. And this is the connection that the Jews would be making as they encountered these kinds of things, or even as they thought about how things were happening to them during this time. But God would revive the dead at the future restoration of Israel using the wind of his spirit. If you look at Ezekiel chapter 37 with me, I'm going to read uh, a few verses out of there, where we see this played out. Some of you may be um, familiar with this passage, the dry bones, but let's look at it together. It says, the hand of the Lord came upon me. This is Ezekiel speaking. And brought me out in in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. It was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. Again, he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and to bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. And suddenly a rattling, rattling. and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinew and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered over them. But there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So, I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. So, we see those terms, breath and wind, used very many times in this passage to speak of the work that the Lord was doing in and through this uh, prophet Ezekiel and to raising up this great army. But we also see Jesus breathing on his disciples to receive the Holy Spirit in one of his gatherings before he had gone up into heaven, before he had ascended. If you look at John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. The scriptures are on the board. Or on the on the screens there. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst. And he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad and when they glad when they saw the Lord. So that Jesus said to them again, "Peace to you." He needed to say it twice. "As the Father has sent me, I also send you." And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, "Receive the Holy Spirit." So we see the move of God. His animating power in the Holy Spirit expressed through the images of breath and wind throughout Scripture. And we see that this house was filled with the sound of wind. And as we know, wind is not something we can see, but we can hear it, we can feel it, we can see the effects of it. But Luke points out that the house was filled with the sound. And around that same time, they saw divided tongues. Tongues. Like or resembling fire sat upon each of them. And again, these are images that we see used throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, the presence of God or the glory of God was depicted as a flame of fire. Remember Moses in the burning bush? The bush was not burning up, but there was the fire that was in it. And then also the pillar of fire that led the Israelites through the wilderness by night. There are images of God's glory being fire. Many other ones. But we have John the Baptist in the New Testament. In Luke, early Luke, he recorded what uh, John the Baptist said and answering questions from those who came to see him in the wilderness whether or not he was the Messiah. And John answered them saying, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So here John is speaking of the promise of the Holy Spirit coming upon those who trust in Jesus. And we see it depicted as sitting on each individual. The disciples seeing this flame resting upon, uh, uh, upon them indicated that the promise of the Holy Spirit had come. And that they, as individuals, have become baptized in the Holy Spirit. Paul writes to the Corinthian church about being the temple or the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. He says in 1 Corinthians 6:19, says, "Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own?" For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And Luke says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this filling wasn't depicted just through the sound of the wind that they heard. Or even the flames that they saw. But it also produced something in their lives. It was a supernatural feeling, a gifting that flowed from their lives from that very moment. Last week, we talked about the different ways that the Holy Spirit is described as working through the Scriptures. We see Him coming upon a person, we see Him with a person. Usually in the context of the Old Testament, we see the Spirit of God was with David or with, you know, whoever the person. I always like the artists. I love when the artist, it says of the Spirit of God was with them. and gave them the ability to design everything, the tabernacle and how the Lord would uh, use them to create this place where Israel would come to worship him. But we see the Holy Spirit being with a person. But we also see him as being in a person. We read earlier in John where Jesus had breathed on the disciples to receive the Holy Spirit. This is when the Holy Spirit came to indwell them. But what we are seeing happen here is the coming upon. The special empowerment of the Holy Spirit as Jesus said and had commanded them to be witnesses to me to the ends of the earth. And what... It produced in them. Was the ability to do that. They spoke. In languages that were not their own. And they did this. As the word tells us. As the spirit gave them utterance. It was under his leading. Under. They would keep speaking as he. Kept leading them. It was organized. It was something that God was intending to do. A message that was. To be sent out. And he was using his empowered disciples. And so we see that the filling of the Holy Spirit here. Resulted in the speaking of other languages and dialects. In order for the message to go out. And I want to at this moment. Even zoom in a little bit more. Because we want to consider who is being filled here. These were the Jewish disciples of Jesus, distinctly Jewish disciples of Jesus. And now God, this actually bears great weight in the whole mission of God and what he has been doing in and through the world. You see, God has been working with his special people, the Jews, the Israelites for a really long time. He chose them because they were the least of all the people in the world at that time, and they were going to become his special people. And they were going to become his special people to bear witness of him to the rest of the world. This was his plan from the beginning, to have a people that would walk with him and represent him to the world. When he called Abraham, God said that he would bless him, multiply him, and make him a blessing to the nations, right? And then when we see Later on in that whole storyline, we see Israel become enslaved to Egypt. And God would redeem his people from slavery. And he would bring them out of there and enter into a covenant relationship with them. To walk with him in holiness because he is holy. And to be a light and a blessing to the world around them. Because he would bless them. But this was a calling that they would... uh, fall short of over and over this would be a covenant that they would break instead of being a light and a blessing to the nations they actually joined the nations in their idolatry and in their sin they forsook their lord the one who redeemed them out of slavery and the lord gave them over to those sins resulting in their captivity and exile And it was Israel's captivity and exile that the Lord sent prophets. Proclaiming a restoration of what was once lost. What mercy, right? Proclaiming to the lost people, hey, there's there's restoration to be had. For those who would repent and turn to him and receive him promising a day when His Spirit would be poured out upon them as a people and a renewal of their covenant relationship with Him. This is the work that the Lord had promised to do so many years prior. This is what God desired for His people. His people, the Jews, in relationship with Him, being a light and a blessing to the nations. And so what do we see here? But this small group of disciples, this small group of Jewish believers who are following their Messiah, they're waiting upon him, and he gives them with the Holy Spirit. And the, what the Holy Spirit does is he gives them utterances in different tongues. He gives them utterances to speak languages that were not their own. Now, these weren't mysterious languages, they were known languages, as we can see as we'll continue to study. But what were they speaking of? Some people say that they were preaching to the people. But if they would just read a little bit further, it says that they were speaking the wonderful works of God in the languages of every nation under heaven. So under the power of the Spirit, we have... Jews who are in right relationship with God through the Messiah, Jesus, that are fulfilling God's desires for them from the very beginning. Speaking other languages and being a light to them. What he starts with this small group of Jewish disciples is to use them to minister to their fellow disciples or their fellow Jews. And that's what we see come out next. And that this ministry will ultimately grow from there to include all of the nations of the world. This is just how uh, Luke has it all divided and how he tells the story of what happened is following from Ju- Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the other most parts of the world. So... Let's continue on, starting in verse 5. Let's read it. says, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of, the, of Libya joining Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Proselytes, sorry. Grecians and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they're full of new wine. So let's look at what we see here. Who was there in Jerusalem? Luke describes those that were in Jerusalem at the time of Pentecost as Jews Who were devout men from every nation under heaven. Now, this word devout men, it's it's used to describe Simeon at the beginning of Luke's gospel as one who takes seriously God's promises and and God's words. And here in Acts, uh, they were people who rightly and seriously received God's commandments. They were those who kept the feasts and worshiped according to God's word, they sought to do what was right before God. And as we'll see next, these same Jews, though these devout men who sought to do right by God, were the same ones who would who rejected the Messiah. We'll see this next week as we continue our study through um, chapter two. But he says that they were from every nation, and what Luke is describing here is the diaspora, the spora, diaspora. Sorry, who had come to Jerusalem. And these were Jews that uh, had, were a parts of settlements that were all around the surrounding nations. And they would be here in Jerusalem for these feasts, especially those who were devout, who took seriously God's command to come and worship in Jerusalem. These Jews, they were bilingual or spoke more languages, speaking Greek in other languages. I have a map up here uh, that... I had for Chris to put up. Let's see if it will show up. There it is. Now, for the sake of not everybody not being able to read everything, what you're seeing is all those orange boxes. If you guys can notice, that's a map of, you know, some of southern Europe down there where Italy is and Rome. And then you have the Middle East and North, North Africa up here. But you see all those orange boxes, whether you can read them or not, all those orange boxes are where these people were coming from. And that red star is Jerusalem. So you can see that there were, when he says every nation, this was pretty much every nation at that time. I mean, there, there was knowledge in, in traveling that was going off into deep Asia and, and such at the time. But these are all who are represented um, by Luke, in his passage here, that were represented in Jerusalem. Now, these Jews, they are culturally and linguistically actually members of other nations, of many different nations. So they were Jewish in culture and religion, or uh, not culture, but in religion and, and observation of that, but culturally they grew up in these other Nations. And so we see the disciples under the power of the Holy Spirit reaching out to these nations. And we see the beginning of the church also as multicultural and diverse. That we can all be from uh, the same, uh, following the same Savior, but come from different cultures and be able to celebrate those differences. But we see them coming to. This, this sound that they heard emanating from this house. Now it could have been either the sound of this wind or the people speaking in, in their own language. And, but whatever was going on within this, this upper room, this home that they were in, it drew attention. And people were going to see what was going on. What God once did, um, what, what's interesting is that some people see that there's a correlation with Babel here. You guys remember the story of Babel? How, um, you know, after much time, they were supposed to disperse throughout the, the lands, and the, a and the man had gathered together, and they said they're going to build a tower up into heaven, and nothing could stop them. And God says it was because they spoke the same language that they would be unstoppable, and and, they, and so God confused their languages, and they spread out. It was a judgment on their on what they were doing. They weren't actually listening to what God had said. And, and so they in judgment he confounded the languages of mankind in the days of Tower of the Babel, of Babel. And we see him actually reverse that through the power of the Holy Spirit, removing any language barrier in order for him to be made known. But they they also saw in verse 7, and what they noticed. And what they were amazed to find is that it was Galileans speaking these different dialects of their birth languages, of the homes, of the languages, of the lands that they came from. They noticed that they were Galileans. Galileans were not known for their particular, or were, yeah, not known for their particular dialect, uh, but one that set them apart from the rest of the inhabitants of Judea. They weren't, it was kind of a crude kind of way of speaking. And uh, they weren't known for their language skills. So this made them even more of a spectacle to those that were looking on. And really, this is quite encouraging to me that no weakness of mine can stop the Holy Spirit from using me for the glory of God. And that is the same that's true with you. is that there is no weakness, no thing that anybody can look on and say, you know, Wow, look at them being used by the Spirit of God. There's nothing that, you know, that stops him from wanting to use somebody. No weakness. Rather, he loves to use the base things that confound the wise, right? That's what we're told. And so they heard them speaking, these Galileans speaking in their own languages, the wonderful works of God. This is what they were They were hearing. The words were not addressed to the listener, but they were addressed to God. How about that? They heard these Galileans worshiping God in their language. It was this worship that captivated them. And it stands out, too, because... You have to realize that the Jews were the ones that were listening. They were going in to see what was going on. But they, they recognized those wonderful works of God. They were trained up in them. So even in this worship, what was being, what was going out was a reminder to them of who God is. And that this work was something that had to do with Him. And so what that does is that piques the interest of some But others, they chalk it off as though they were just drunk. Some were perplexed and amazed, is what we're told. And it it caused them to ask questions. But one thing I want to notice, too, is the timing of the Lord doing this work. When all of these people would be gathered in Jerusalem, we have a, a, a picture, one more picture, of how the Lord's timing is perfect. You see, the Lord wanted to reach as many people as possible, many of his people, his chosen people. And at this time in Jerusalem, there'd be many, many thousands of people from all over gathered together, as we've already discussed. And what goes out is the worship of his followers through the power of the spirit, speaking the wonderful works of God. About 13 years ago, I started working for Trader Joe's. And um, I did so because there was a lady in our church who uh, worked for them. And she found out that I had experience working for Trader Joe's um, previously when I was in Bible college. So she talked to her boss and, and um, got me an interview. And I started working there at, at the store with her. This was a lovely sister in the Lord. And I bring this up, I bring her up to you because I, it's really her witness, the way that I saw her display her, her love for Jesus in public that made a huge impact in my life. Because she would talk about Jesus to people who didn't believe in him as though Jesus was standing right next to her. And I could get, the, I get this picture, you know, uh, just that timidness that, there, that comes with being a witness at times, because being a witness can cost. But she was so in love with Jesus that it, it stood out. It didn't matter who she was talking to, Jesus. She's talking to the one that stood right next to her. And I could see people's faces and they would be amazed or they would be perplexed. And really love Laura for who she was and her truth and honesty and the love that she had for people. But there were also others that were like, she's crazy. She's wild. And I think that this is somewhat of what we are seeing through these disciples and the time that they had spent with the Lord. Produced such a deep love for him and an intent on knowing him, They studying the scriptures. They were gathering together with others that were intent on knowing him and praying to him. And we see the Lord anoint them with power to be witnesses to their brothers and sisters. Now, what these people were hearing were the works of God, the wonderful works of God. But they had a question. What does this mean? And we see Peter stand up here in these next set of verses. that we'll close on. In verses 14 through 21, let's read. It says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. In all my men servants and all my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So at the question, the questions of the onlookers, Peter responds. And how does he respond? With scripture. He goes, they're not drunk like you think. It's only 9 a.m. in the morning. You'd have to be pretty excited about drinking to be that. <laughs> get to that point at 9 a.m. It would have actually been a very um, uh, looked down upon in their culture, uh, a shameful thing if this were the case. But Peter says what is happening is a fulfillment of Scripture. And he starts to read from Joel chapter 2, 28. Now, I don't know that Peter necessarily had this Scripture right before him. But he knew it. It was in his heart. And he's ready to give them a scriptural basis for what they were seeing and what they were hearing. He'll do this same thing with two more passages as we continue our study through the chapter next week. But this should be our guide as well. That what the scriptures say about what we do as a church or what is taking place in our gatherings. Does not line up with scripture? Not only that. But look at who God is using to speak. He's using Peter. He's using these Galileans. People with no great reputation. Peter, the one who actually is speaking on behalf of the disciples... With great boldness at this point, not many days prior, he was cowardly in denying his relationship to Jesus. But what we see here is the grace of God activated in the life of one of his followers. You see, this sermon wasn't something that Peter necessarily prepared for. But if you think about it, it flowed from his time with the Lord His time spent in the scriptures, his time in prayer, and then it was activated through the power of the Spirit, ready to be used when in God's timing. I think that's our encouragement today as believers is that are we prepared? Have we been immersing ourselves in God's Word and spending that time with Him in prayer? So let's look closer at what Joel said the main point of Joel's passage here focuses on God's promise to pour out his spirit on all flesh but it says at the beginning it shall come to pass in the last days in the last days before the coming of the Lord so what Joel describes is a pouring out of the Spirit that this pouring out of the Holy Spirit is to happen before the coming of the Lord and what we understand is the coming of the Lord is that great tribulation that we have just finished studying through on Sunday mornings in the book of Revelation. The tribulation, the last days, are those days that precede the tribulation. It describes this season between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. So if we understand it through this then we are in the last days just as much as they were in the last days as the early church. But we see that the Lord will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. And throughout the Old Testament, we see God's Spirit at work through certain people who were filled for various tasks and roles, like we talked earlier. But what we are seeing is that the Holy Spirit is for all those who are Christ's. We also see some of the ways in which the Holy Spirit would continue to work in the lives of his people. Ways which Luke would go on to record for us happening in the lives of his of the disciples later on in his book. Joel describes to the Jews, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams on the servants. The spirit will be poured out. The Holy Spirit is even for those in the most humblest of stations. They will prophesy. They will speak forth truth through the inspiration of the Spirit of God. No one is left out in this. And Joel goes on to describe these wonders of heaven and signs in the earth. Speaking of the great tribulation. It's as though the pouring out of the Spirit had occurred, the fulfillment of this prophecy was yet incomplete. What the pouring of the Holy Spirit did was to point to is that the day is coming. The return of the Lord Jesus in glory. It's the direction that the world is going. And he uses these descriptions of blood and fire and smoke, sun turned into darkness moon turned into blood describing the bloodshed and the destruction that would be a sign in the earth of those days but in one of the most one of the more quoted verses of the old testament we see here in verse 21 that it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the lord shall be saved this describes one of the greatest truths of all time and this is the time we live in. Salvation is for whoever calls on the name of the Lord. It's no longer a matter of a person associated with Israel, or but but anyone from any nation can call on the Lord and be saved. This is a truth that would continue to be revealed to the disciples as the message of Christ would go out and be received by the gentiles and they too praise the lord which is probably most of us in here unless you're jewish but they've received the holy spirit as well it's a developing and an unfolding story of how god is working and how god is continuing to fulfill this prophecy But we see here that everyone is invited to pray. It says that whoever calls, right? Whoever calls. That's the simplicity of it. The faith is exercised and the calling out is to the Lord. Whoever. Anybody in here today, if you don't know the Lord, you're the whoever. I was a whoever. Many others were whoever's. Salvation is found only in the name of the Lord. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord. There's no other source of salvation that exists. Many people will trust in many other things than God to save them. Good deeds, other false gods, offering a form of spirituality. Some just view themselves as their own God and do whatever they please. But salvation, it exists in no other name. Romans ten nine says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's not a you might be saved. It is a you will be saved. The promise is sure. It says that they will be saved. You see, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit of God on all flesh precedes the coming judgment, the day of the Lord. This means that today is the day of salvation. And if you do not know the Lord today, today is that day. Today is the day to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. If you know the Lord, praise him. It's through him that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and will stand in the day of judgment because He has conquered death and sin on your behalf, setting you free to enjoy a rich, life-giving relationship with Him through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We thank You for... your just seeing you fulfill your promises to your people and what that means for us. Lord, you were faithful to to your people, Lord. You were faithful, Lord. You had a remnant set apart who would continue your work in this world and that it would expand to those of us that aren't Jews, Lord, who have come to trust in you as our Savior. Who because of their witness, Lord, and because of your mighty power working through them, we will stand with you. We are free. So, Father, we praise you this morning for what you are doing. Lord, as we continue to follow in your steps, Lord, as we search your scriptures, Lord, as we apply them to our lives, as we gather together and pray, Lord, will you fill us overflowing with your spirit. To be bold in our witnesses to those around us. Lord, It's you love people. And it's people that you came to save from every part of this world. From on the corner here, the other side of the world. Lord, overflow our hearts with your desires, Lord. Lord, let us go about our days speaking the wonderful works of God. The wonderful works you've done in our lives. The wonderful works you've done throughout history. And the wonderful works you're going to do, Lord, when you Redeem all of creation and set it aright new in righteousness and justice, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would move in us this week. Lead us, guide us in our conversations, in our relationships. Lord, that we might be a light and a blessing to those around us proclaiming who you are. This we ask in Jesus' name.